Hey, welcome to a special edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we are looking back at the Bundesliga season that was, 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 was a wild season, to say the least. <laughs> very few fans in the stadium. Very much drama at the end with a couple of very big teams going down to the Zweite Bundesliga, perhaps another one. A whole host of surprises, too, when you look at who got into Europe. With me this week to discuss all of this about the, the the season that was is one of my very favorite guests who I don't always get to, to sort of corral onto the show, but luckily this week I did. It is Marie Schulte Bauckham. Hey, hey, how's your summer shaping up? Hi, Matt. Um, summer shaking up excellently. It's getting very hot in New York with my pale skin. I'm now, you know, since March, I've been wearing my Sun Factor 50 face cream um, and to protect myself from the evil sun rays. But I'm, I'm loving it. I'm playing a lot of basketball. I'm going on runs outside and uh, still really enjoying following soccer, especially now that some fans are back in at least some of the leagues, including that evil league on the, the island um, in Europe that we all pretend doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, it's been going well. Oh yes, the league whose name we shall never mention. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that that sounds great. I mean, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend the summer in New York, you might as well do something active because you're gonna sweat no matter what. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I used to. What's your bridge? Do you run over bridges? Are you more of a, a East Side Highway runner? What's your spot? Yeah, definitely East River Esplanade runner, and I really like the um, like the reservoir in the north of Central Park as well. Ah, right on. Right so on. I kind of alternate between those two for my route. Yeah. Okay, I was a big Williamsburg Bridge runner, and if I was really ambitious, I would do it and the Queensboro Bridge. But that, you know, mm-hmm. those, those are those are special days when I really wanted to tire myself out. Nice. Cool. Well, this week we're going to be talking over a few of the biggest storylines that this season threw up. We're going to, you know, look ahead at what might be to come next season. We'll be handing out the TF End of Season Awards with a nod to that. Other sports league, which Marie and I sort of uh, share a great <laughs> interest in that's, uh, you know, seasonally playing a very big role in both of our lives. All right, here we go with talking Foosball. This is part one. We don't we don't have the best the rest thing going on this week. We don't have a match day to talk about. It's all in the past. It's behind us. It's you know, I think there's probably a lots of fans out there who would love to see a little bit more, another chance to redeem themselves. Maybe are happy to see this season go into the rearview mirror. But at the same time, I think that there are also fans who are just pretty much over the moon with where things ended up. I think if you look at who exceeded expectations, you got to think about Wolfsburg. You got to think about Union Berlin. Maybe you can think about uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, except for uh, the fact that the last part of the season didn't quite go their way. This has uh, been a bit of a bone of contention at the management level there. But let's leave all that aside. Let's just talk about what is happening this past week in the world of the Bundesliga. First off, we talked about a couple of big clubs teasing that at the top of the show. Schalke, your team, you're wearing your Schalke jersey today. Oh, sure. Don't tell the listeners that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? What? It's, it's, you know, the one thing that's great about uh, about football jerseys is uh, they're great for for running, they're great for basketball, they're great for weightlifting, (laughs) anything you might want to do. I tend to, I mean, I was wearing my forward Madison today uh, in in the gym. So, you know, there's no shame in in putting on a favorite soccer jersey. A third club who might be on thin ice, especially now after – a pretty pretty poor performance in the first leg of the relegation playoff is Erste FC Köln. They lost 1-0 at home to uh, Holstein Kiel. It's interesting that after having such a rousing match day 34 where they got the goal that they needed uh, against Schalke, by the way, to sort of give themselves a lifeline, unlike Werder Bremen, for them to come out and, and really fall flat in this game. I'm going to be honest, I did not watch this game. I watched a little bit of the highlights. 
you know, Wednesday afternoon is not always the time when I'm, I, I've set aside for Bundesliga, unless it's an English Woche and I can kind of plan a little bit. <laughs> what is your feeling about, you know, where you think Cologne is going, if that is uh, the Zweite Bundesliga? This is a, a league that they are very familiar with, of course, but it's one that they certainly don't want to be a part of next season. Yeah, I mean, I think the Billy Goats, I, they're one of those teams in the Bundesliga, perhaps even in the top five where this is the case, where it's a club that suffered immensely from fans being shut out of the stadium this season. Uh, because they did not have a good squad going into the season. I pretty much thought from the beginning that their squad was maybe bottom five in the league. They left their coach change till very late. And um, even that didn't have the desired short-term effect. And, you know, I, I just think their nerves are, are very sensitive right now. We saw that when Jonas Hector, the, you know, veteran of Germany, who is, is very experienced and is usually, you know, a gentle soul, got all sarcastic and uh, mad at a reporter after the game, basically being like, well, thanks for that stupid question or whatever. It was it was just hilarious coming from, you know, someone, you know, your ever your like perfect son-in-law type with that really I mean he looks like he's just, you know, stepped out of his holy communion, but you know, carrying his candle torch, um, but he happens to be a Bundesliga player. And then this was coming from him. And it's just I think Holstein Kiel wants it more in some ways. I think, in some, you know, in these type of ties, it's dangerous because hope is a stronger, more positive emotion than fear. Um, I think uh, hope can galvanize more power, more energy, more creativity on the field than fear. And we could already see that on match day 34 against Schalke. I mean, Schalke really is the only team that Cologne could have beaten. And they were so lucky to play Schalke. And even then, I mean, Schalke had chances in the first half. Yep. And it was only really from the 70th minute onwards that playing at home, Cologne woke up and was like, oh, we have something to play for. And it's just part of me kind of thinks Holstein Kiel deserves it more. And I, I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to play Professor Trelawney and uh, guess what's going to happen in the second leg. But Cologne lost at home which is never a good um, place to start out from. We know that from the Champions League and Europa League. And yeah, anything can happen in these kind of games. But my my opinion, and I think Holstein Kiel won a lot of fans this year when they beat Bayern Munich. My, my opinion is that it would be fun to have another Northern team in the Bundesliga. We have enough teams from the West. Werder Bremen is going down. So I would really like to see Kiel in the Bundesliga next season. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, you make a very, very good point there with the absence of all the other big northern clubs with Bremen, with Hamburg, with St. Pauli, you know, with the likes of uh, Hanover, Rostock, et cetera. They're all second division clubs at the moment, which has its own sort of appeal, but it, it would be nice just for some sort of regional balance to get them up there. I too worried about Cologne pretty much all season. I mean, I was not convinced with the amount of strengthening that they did. I mean, I personally have a lot of time for Andre Duda. <laughs> I feel like he's one of their only good players mm -hmm. when it comes to sort of creating things. This is a team that like, you know, even when they lose 1-0, which let's face it is not a massive deficit. You look at Cologne's um, sort of goal scoring tally. They scored 34 goals all season. That's, you know, <laughs> that's a team that basically – you can count on them getting a goal in a game. And unless they can keep, you know, Holstein Kiel quiet for another game, which I'm not sure that they can, they're going to be gone. Right. Another bit of news that came across this week, Miroslav Kloza has deep vein thrombosis mm -hmm. and, and is basically taking a break from everything. He, he gave an interview to, to Kicker in which he talked about not coaching, not playing, not running, not doing anything. And that's the, the state he's going to be in for another uh, few weeks at the very least. There had been rumors about him taking over at uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf, which of course have not come to fruition. They've gone another direction, taking the, uh, you know, Freiburg Zwei coach on, as well as uh, another coaching change, which is happening, Oliver Glasner, who's been <laughs> basically tiptoeing to the Wolfsburg exit for, for 
a really long time. He was thinking about leaving early in the season, is leaving. He is getting away from his nemesis, Jörg Schmatke, <laughs> and he is joining up with uh, the, the entirely revamped Eintracht Frankfurt next season. Thinking about that move for just a moment, um, now that it's that it's official, it's, it's very strange. We've had so many conversations revolving around coaching changes, and some of them were kind of complexified in certain ways. You know, there there was a lot of will there, won't they, considering, you know, payoffs that were due to various clubs or maybe late-breaking competition from, from other uh, candidates. But really, almost all of these moves ended up playing out exactly like we thought they would. You know, Nagelsmann's at Bayern, Marsh is at Leipzig, Glasner is going to Eintracht, Hutter, Gladbach, Rosa, Dortmund. I feel like there's something kind of unusual about those circumstances. And also, I feel like in that all the rumors ended up being true, I think a lot of these clubs are going to really need to start thinking about who they talk to because this stuff was getting out much too easily. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think of those that we just that you just mentioned there, of those transfers, the latest one, uh, so Oliver Glasner making the move from Wolfsburg to Frankfurt is actually, I mean, it's not that, not like the bar is very high there, but it's the most surprising of all those. And also the only one where at first I'm like, huh, but, you know, you come to think of it because Glasner, you know, he's this very reserved, easygoing, calm, kind of like introverted Austrian dude who, you know, he fits Wolfsburg. You know, they're, they're just they're both very beige, very beige people and clubs. And he's going to be going to Frankfurt, which is like the opposite of beige. You know, Frankfurt is like a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> the and moody diva. The moody diva with the loud fans. And it's, at first I'm like, okay, but then, you know, let's take, let's take that off. Let's take the Hawaiian shirt off and get to the essence. And there, it's a good, I, I think it could be a good fit because I think sometimes the way we talk and write about coaches is too superficial, you know, especially with guys like Jurgen Klopp and we're like, oh, he's so emotional and communicative. But just because, or Mourinho, just because someone runs up and down the sideline shouting and getting picking fights with referees doesn't mean that they care more than someone sitting with crossed legs on the bench and taking tactical notes like Lucien Favre used to do. And I think sometimes also we put too much weight on the personality and style of play that these guys had as, as players. And that definitely was the case for Niko Kovac, you know, Oftentimes, journalists would say, oh, you know, he's a disciplinarian, aggressive play. And they were pretty much writing about Niko Kovac, the midfielder. And Niko Kovac as well, you know, he, he was very chic looking guy on the sidelines. I think he won some of those uh, rankings as most attractive Bundesliga coach. <laughs> I think our, yep. our listeners should I, definitely know. An important I think we may have highlighted such competitions <laughs> on Talking Football at some point in time. But Niko Kovac, you know, besides all of that and besides the fact that he was a national team player and well-known and had, had that bit of glamour, he was also reserved and introverted. And that really showed at Bayern Munich where he had a difficult relationship with the stars. And, you know, all of those players, especially Boateng, Müller, Hummels, they all said after that he didn't communicate much with individual players. And I think we need to do justice to Glasner here. I listened to an episode, um, this was, I think, two years ago. He was guest in the DAZN Kicker podcast, um, which is hosted yeah, yeah. by... Yeah, extended interview. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was hosted by Benny Sander and I forget the DAZN journalist, my apologies, who who is the co-host of that. But Glasner gave a very positive impression there. And he seemed like a family guy who likes nature, who finds it very important to talk to young players and integrate them. And, you know, I think I'm going to give Glasner the benefit of the doubt and give Frankfurt the benefit of the doubt for this choice. He's done a lot at Wolfsburg. I don't think any of us had Wolfsburg down as a Champions League qualifiant like for this season. So this is really impressive. And yeah, I look forward to seeing how that works out. Yeah, I do too. And and I think in some ways for me, the proof is he was able to sort of create a real 
you know, to use, to use, a, you know, peak TV term, a multi-season arc for Wolfsburg. I mean, he had them playing extremely, you know, uh, trying at times to watch basic sort of Python-like football, uh, probably in his first season and things opened up a little bit. And you really saw the difference. You saw that there was a, a sort of, um, an organizational philosophy that the players seem to embrace. You saw some players who I believe many people sort of viewed as something of, I don't know, just above average Bundesliga players, Maxi Arnold, John Brooks, who turned into outstanding Bundesliga players uh, under Oliver Glasner. Uh, maybe that has to do with, with, with personality things. Maybe he has some communicative talents that we don't know about. Maybe it's all about the sort of tactical organization that these players appreciated and sort of fit in well in. But I think that this is a coach that, you know, maybe isn't going to, you know, <laughs> showcase everything that uh, Eintracht has to offer going forward, but they have, they have an embarrassment of riches in that category. And I think that he's probably going to maintain a really high level of, of tactical discipline. And I think that he's has the chance to improve players who, who have an even higher ceiling than what we've seen. So I, I, I think this could be a really interesting move uh, for them. Okay. That's sort of, that's sort of the, the, the newsy news that I wanted to talk about at the moment. I do, you know, apropos the, the, the shirt that you're wearing and many conversations that we've had in the past, I want to talk about not only Schalke, which is, is your team, but also Bremen. The fact that, and perhaps Cologne, uh, considering their trajectory at the moment and what that means for the Bundesliga, you know, I think maybe just to throw out a few, a few figures to sort of put into context what the Bundesliga is losing. Schalke famously, we all know this, have never won a Bundesliga title, but they have played a huge role in hey, the Bundesliga. Hey, 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 little interruption there. What? This is the Bundesliga as it was founded in 1964 or whatever. Yeah, this is the Bundesliga. We're not talking about Deutsche Meisterschaft. Schalke the- has won seven <laughs> Bundesliga titles. I will have Same. to know. <laughs> <laughs> they won like the Gau Liga or something. Erased <laughs> like half a century of club history. <laughs> but there was no, there was no national league. It was like you know, regional champions had a some goofball knockout tournament it was to decide. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sure. Okay. Yes. Deutsche Meister <laughs> Siebenmal. Okay. Whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I I stepped in. I stepped in right there. But I, what I wanted to emphasize is. What a big deal this club is, not only in terms of all those, those seven German titles from the times when, you know, we had uh, dinosaurs and so forth, but just what a, what a huge club this is. This is, this is the second biggest club in Germany by membership. It's the fifth biggest club in the world by membership, you know, sports club. And and the 15th most valuable brand in world football, according to a report that KPMG released today. So that, isn't that insane? Yeah. Like there are 18, at least 18 clubs next season better in Germany than Schalke because that's the Bundesliga. But globally, <laughs> it's in the top 15 clubs as a well-known brand. So yeah, in summary, everything went wrong this season. Everyone did wrong this season. And that's one statistic that just goes to show that again. <laughs> yeah. However, where do, you, where do you sort of see this club, in both in the context of what they're going to leave behind, the hole that they're going to leave in, in the Bundesliga? But mm-hmm. how many bad decisions do you have to make to get in the position where they are at? And do you see them riding the ship in a year's time? Or maybe taking a bit more time to sort of season a lot of these kids who are getting a lot of playing time in the last three or four matches. I mean, that the performance in Cologne wasn't that great, but it was pretty good compared to what they've been doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily good enough to get you out of the, the, the second Bundesliga, but it might be if you, if you make a couple of other good moves, like getting, you know, Teroda, Zeman Teroda, who can't stop scoring goals in the second division, or Danny Lotza, who never missed a chance to profess his his you know sort of boyhood love of the club. I mean, is this maybe a recipe to to do something good next year? Yeah, I mean, so two years ago in Dominic uh, Domenico Tedesco's dying days as Schalke coach, and that 
awful spring where Schalke lost 7-0 at uh, Manchester City in the Champions League and 4-0 at home to um, Fortuna Düsseldorf during Carnival, um, which is always awkward because they were all partying and Schalke were miserable. But at that time, I I went as a reporter to one of the Schalke home games and I interviewed some of the fans at Gelsenkirchen Hauptbahnhof, so the main train station. And, you know, there was a lot of police and yeah, it was it was exactly how you would expect a Schalke home game to go. A lot of emotions, um, a lot of singing and swearing. And this was before the game even started, of course. This was like three hours before kickoff. And I talked to some of the fans and one of them just very, you know, I said, I basically asked everyone, you know, what's going to happen? What what are you going to do if Schalke gets relegated? And one of them just said, you know, without smirking, without blinking his eyes, well, at least the ticket prices will be cheaper. And I think in some ways, you know, for the traditionalists of whom there are many, but they always get taken for granted because they will still be watching Schalke if Schalke is in Division 6, which I don't think is going to happen. But, you know, it's like, let's look at Rot-Weiss Essen. Rot-Weiss Essen also has won some German championships before the Bundesliga was founded in its current construct. And, you know, they still have a lot of fans and there'll always be a core of Schalke fans and many, probably millions in Germany, especially in the Ruhr Valley. But those fans, for them, this might be like a vacation. They can play against those teams of old, Hansa Rostock, Dynamo Dresden, you know, the HSV, Hamburg, uh, Cologne, maybe if they go down, uh, Nuremberg, their um, friends, um, the the f- supporters are um, have been close friends for many years. So you know what's not to like. You can travel to really beautiful stadiums, Bochum. Actually, no, Bochum's going up to the Bundesliga, <laughs> but you can you can travel to really beautiful stadiums. And there's a lot of fan culture in the second Bundesliga, a lot of history next season, and everything's going to be cheaper. And Schalke in the past decade has had had a very high opinion of itself and has felt the need to target new supporters. If you can call them that, I would say more like clients in China, in the United States. And yeah, those are not going to stick around because why would they watch, like, I don't know, why would they follow play-by-plays online of Schalke playing against Heidenheim? They're not going to do that. They're going to carry on watching Dortmund and Bayern and Leipzig, um, you know, for their, their gorgeous football and the stars. But, you know, as to the main question that you asked me, is Schalke going to come right back up? I don't think so. I think it's it's a very hard competition. I'm not sure Schalke will have the right players needed to make it. But I actually think the fans, the club is going to be more patient with this new team than perhaps we would expect knowing how things normally go in Gelsenkirchen. Yeah, I have a feeling that since this decline has happened over such a long period. I mean, there there was there were some false dawns, of course. I mean, the 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 one sort of brilliant season, at least by results of of Domenico Tedesco, and at least the first half of one season with with Wagner. But in general, the trend at the club over the last few years has been pretty consistently down for the last few years. I feel like the brick. <laughs> the bricks have been laid for everyone to understand what's going on and to understand that like this is not going to turn around o- overnight and i i i actually have seen much more sort of realism and good humor from Schalke fans especially as this season this legendarily <laughs> bad season pushed on that i i i have a, a good deal of confidence in terms of like the culture of this club, which is so strong. I mean, this going to Schalke, like, you know, I'm not a Schalke fan by any stretch of the imagination, but going to Schalke is fun. It's super fun. <laughs> like the atmosphere in the city is awesome. The stadium is awesome. The sort of the whole area around the stadium with, with the academy and, you know, the old stadium and the sort of, you know, the feeling that you get. It's like a little mini it's like a mini, like, you know, Camp Schalke at the edge of town. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff is not going to go away. That's kind of what I meant. Like, at the end of 2019, which was in many ways as chaotic a season as the past season, if not more so, because at least they were still fighting. I mean, in this past season, pretty much from that first match day where Schalke lost, 
8-0 to, to Bayern, it was clear they were going to go down. But, you know, 2019, that at the end of that season, when Schalke, under like their third coach of the season, I think, um, when it was, no, actually it wasn't. It was just, I think Hoop Stevens just t- took over for Tedesco as like caretaker manager, his like third time doing that. But when against all odds, they beat Dortmund in the in the derby and the players bus uh, drove from Dortmund to the Schalke Meile, which is like this kind of like very going out type town in Schalke. Schalke is actually a neighborhood of Gelsenkirchen, for those listeners who don't know. And Gelsenkirchen is the poorest city in Western Germany. So the poorest city anywhere outside of the former communist East Germany, and it has the highest unemployment of any place in Germany. And so football really is a religion there because the people don't have a lot else going on. And anyway, so the players, the bus and Gerald Azamor, the um, club legend, he was also on that bus. They just stopped at like a pub, a fan pub where, you know, one of those really old pubs um, that hasn't changed since like the 80s. And, you know, has sticky ceilings with beer dripping from the ceiling. And the players just got off. And this was when they still had some well-known players, you know. And they just started drinking and singing with the fans in that pub. So it was like Alexander Nübel was there. I mean, Arit. You know, this was Suat Seada. These were different times. And that kind of atmosphere, that spontaneity and that history and legacy... I mean, like, okay, let's think of RB Leipzig. Where would RB Leipzig even go? I don't even know if any Leipzig pubs exist. Like, would they just go to, like, a McDonald's and be like, here we go, Leipzig, let's order Red Bull for everyone. Like, you know, okay, I'm I'm waxing poetic about my club now, so you need to cut me off. But I I think you're right. Like, this, this could be a rejuvenation of the fan soul, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking good thoughts for them. I, I, I hope, I hope, um, I hope the Zweite Liga experience, um, proves rejuvenating. I'm a little more worried about Bremen. Um, Bremen, they always punched a little bit above their weight in terms of, of the size of the club, the size of the membership, the size of the city. They just, you know, we're lucky enough to have a lot of good people in charge for a lot of years. And they haven't been down famously since, you know, 1980. Just because it's been a while since Bremen were major players at the very top of the table. I do want to remind people for a second what a spectacular run, a spectacular, you know, 40-year run Mm -hmm. this club had. They, you know, since 1980, the last time, that they were down. I mean, they, they went down for a year and then came back. Um, they have won the league three times, 88, 93, and 04. They've been runner-up in the Bundesliga six times, 83, 85, 86, 95, 06, and 08. They won the German Cup five times, 91, 94, 99, 04, 09. They won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1992, the UEFA Cup in 1998, and were runners-up in the UEFA Cup as recently as 2009. This club, <laughs> you know, when I when I got to Germany in 2006, they were absolutely undisputed the second club mm-hmm. in the country. They were the ones that Bayern, you know, basically knew that they were going to have to go toe-to-toe with any time that they play them. They, you know, Miroslav Klose was playing for them. He was, you know, putting the hurt on Bayern. Yeah. You know, they had... The likes of Diego, who was, you know, the player of the season. He, they, Mesut Ozil played there and sort of came to prominence right. after leaving Schalke. That was his springboard club to go, you know, to onto to the sort of mega heights of, of Real Madrid. However, I'm sure that you noticed that the last time that they won anything was a good 12 years ago. And the last 12 years have not been particularly kind to this club. And I think in some ways that illustrious past, you know, which was largely in about a, you know, 25, 30 year period, became their downfall. I mean, they kept trying to do things in house. They kept trying to bring in, you know, sporting directors, chairmen, coaches, who had that sort of, you know, the Brayman gene or something of the sort of the Brayman legacy about them, because let's face it, they had won a lot of things over the last uh, 
30, 40 years. But it turned out that was not the right move. This was a club who, you know, both on the field and off the field in terms of, uh, you know, putting a lot of money into stadium development, but kind of skimping on the, on the squad basically got off onto a wrong path. And I'm, I'm really afraid this could be a long stint in, in the second division. I mean, I think if anything, Bremen, cause no one dislikes Bremen, you know, even Tony Crowe said that Bremen is like his secret favorite club, which is hilarious. But, if anything, they've had it too easy because the media is just like, oh, Beata, so cute, you know? Yep. And yep. really, like, they've made a lot of, they've just been sleeping. They've been sleepwalking and they haven't been punished for it like any other team would be. You know, there's so much schadenfreude for for other clubs with history and a lot of fans like Cologne or Düsseldorf or you know, Schalke or, you know, and they've just gotten away, gotten off easy. And I think you're right. Like when we talk about what makes Bremen Bremen, we talk about the past. And of that list that you mentioned, I just want to add uh, Johan uh, Miku, Johan Miku, the, the Frenchman yeah. at Yilton. God, what was his nickname? The bomber, something like, like chubby bomber or something. It was hilarious. But <laughs> it's, it's, that is a highly appropriate. He filled out his jersey quite uh, amply. Yeah, I think like by the end of his season on that like chart that they sometimes have in gyms of like height and weight, like he might have been mildly obese, but no one cared because he was still scoring goals. You know, he was just hilarious as a player. Um, like think of how Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo looked after his career. That's how... Ayilton looked during his career, but he was, he was a legend. It's so true. These were such colorful characters. And, you know, where are those characters now? I mean, Maxi Eggerstein looked promising for a while. Uh, I still haven't given up on him. I think, you know, similar to maybe how Dahoud in his early 20s stagnated. Maybe we'll see Eggerstein come back stronger in the future. But, um, yeah, like all these glory. And then there was Marco Marine, who looked like he was going to become a world star at Bremen and then went to just about every league on the European continent and was still hailed as a big talent, you know, in his early 30s because he'd never quite made it. But, you know, where are those players now? Kevin De Bruyne played there. In many ways, Bremen was like the last club in the world of soccer that believed and relished and you know really puts put strength in that classical number 10 role and and where is that now you know in germany we have a word for it graue mouse you know gray mouse just you know like a little mouse on the side of the street that no one looks at no one pays attention to and that's kind of what bremen has become and you know to to end on a positive we could look at stuttgart as an example of a, a team that thinks of itself as a big German club and has a big tradition and legacy. And they got relegated and uh, they were down and then they came back up and look at them now. And maybe Bremen will will succeed in a similar vein. And whether that's this season or next season or, or even later, only time will tell. Yeah, all they have to do is find their own Pellegrino Matarazzo, Thomas Hitzelsberger and Sven Mislintat. And then everything will just go really well. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Mesut Ozil, Mesut Ozil the the fifth or whatever, you know, every everyone who has played that position with varying success since then. If they have another Diego or Ozil or Marine or De Bruyne, then that could also help them come back up. Yeah, I'm worried, but I, I, I this is another club that I, I'm going to miss. And I'm going to miss Cologne if they go, although their pedigrees, let's face it, not quite as illustrious as, as Schalke and Bremen's. Are you concerned at all about the Bundesliga next season with its, you know, relative lack of big clubs? Let's just say, I mean, I, I don't want to sniff too loudly at Bochum and Fürth and potentially Kiel, but I think we all know um, they are not quite on the same level in terms of fan interest and history, etc. Is this something that, that the league should be worried about? I think it depends a lot on who you ask and how we measure that, how we measure factors such as fan interest and dedication and entertainment and quality. Because in terms of football quality, 
Kiel and Bochum have played very attractive football this season. You know, they, if anything, have played better football than um, than Schalke and Bremen. And, you know, the oft-mocked teams like Hoffenheim and Wolfsburg and Leverkusen and Leipzig, the quote-unquote mercenary or commercial teams, play beautiful um, soccer as well. And they put an emphasis on that and on integrating young players, fast players, creative players. Leverkusen in the past few years has really turned into a team that likes playing across its wings, um, both defensively and offensively. And, you know, they've seen guys like uh, Edmond Tapsoba come up, who's now um, garnered the attention of a lot of Premier League teams. He's a fantastic player. And Moussa Diaby, um, you know, Leon Bailey, to name a few. Same can be said for all those other teams I just mentioned. So, in my opinion, no. I don't think the Bundesliga will have an issue of dropping interest. I prefer to think of it positively in the sense that the second Bundesliga will gain interest. But we also have to remember, like, for every fan of German football within Germany, within the German borders, there are probably three or four beyond Germany's borders. And I think those fans who perhaps are newer to the league are going to be highly appreciative of the quality of football that I expect we'll see next season in the top flight. Yeah, I I, th- I too think that the trend in the league has been toward better football. I remember, you know, maybe four or five years ago, there was a, I don't know, a period of a couple of years where you really had a lot of super reactive soccer being played. You had a lot of, I don't know, sort of negative soccer. And I, I, I definitely would would count some of the teams who, who had success in that period, like Cologne, like Hertha, like, you know, a couple of other teams as part of that. And in general, I think that, that, that the football over the last few years has been getting better. And I, I have no reason to think that that is going to change. You've had even, you know, clubs come in uh, to the league since then and, and, and add a lot uh, to the competition. All right, let's take a break. And then let's uh, come back, and we're gonna we're gonna put on our our sort of pretend NBA hats <laughs> and give a little twist to the end of the season awards. All right, here comes the second part of talking foosball. You know, I think at the end of the year, we're pretty used to the the best 11s. We are used to, you know, the uh, the, the Torjega Kanonen and and other types of uh, individual accolades. I happen to feel like and this maybe is just uh, reflective of my interests outside of the Bundesliga outside of soccer. I really like the way that the National Basketball Association does its awards. I like the fact that they make it pretty explicitly a regular season award because you know what the award is for the playoffs? It's winning the playoffs. That's <laughs> award enough. And I also like the fact that they they really have diverse categories. It's not just, you know, MVP, coach of the year, and, you know, we're all done. They, you know, highlight players who are bench players. They highlight players who are, you know, sort of going from a player to a, a decent player in the most improved or from a very good to an excellent player. They, you know, highlight defensive players. So I think, and I think you're with me. I think you're a big basketball fan after, oh, yes. after a couple of years in New York. <laughs> I think we're going to, we're going to do this NBA style. And I think we can start right now. How are you feeling? Feeling absolutely hyped. I was actually at a playoff game Tuesday night, so let's bring it to the Bundesliga. Spectacular. Were you, were you at a, a Knicks or a Nets game? Nets. I can't afford the Knicks yet. Maybe you know, <laughs> in, a, in, in like a decade's time when I'm a full-time journalist somewhere, touch wood. But for the time being, Nets it is. Brooklyn, you know, train to Brooklyn across the bridge. And uh, I had a lot of fun. They played the Celtics in game two. And it was a complete blowout. And it was one of the first games where, like, the Broccoli Center was packed with fans again. So that was, not, you know, now that the rules are being loosened here in the States, as you know. Um, so it was a lot of fun. Nice, nice. It's, there's nothing like seeing the Celtics get whipped. Let's start with, 
our version of the Sixth Man Award, which I, I think in, in the context of, of you know soccer has to be turned into a Twelfth Man Award. I, here, here's how I interpreted it. You might have your own. I basically was looking for players who they were kind they're regulars, like they're important players for their team, but they tended to start less than you might think. Guys who had, you know, at least nine or ten substitute appearances or more, but who still made a pretty major contribution to their team. So uh, my, here's, here's my three finalists. You might have, well, you might have your own definition. I'll, I'll let you go, go next. I had Amin Yunus mm-hmm. of Eintracht. I had Lucas Alario from Leverkusen. And I had Christopher Nkunku from Leipzig, who, you know, I feel like in almost every other team, you know, in the Bundesliga outside of, of, of the, the teams that, you know, finished in the Champions League, he would be not only a nailed on starter, but he would be like the center of the team. So considering what I interpreted, uh, I want to hear, what, hear how you looked at it. Yeah, I mean, I looked at it similarly, to be absolutely honest, um, like players that came off the bench more often than not to have a big effect on the game or I also interpreted as players who perhaps broke into the team a bit later on in the season Mm -hmm. and left their mark. And for that reason, I actually have uh, Moda Hood in the best sixth man. Nice. Because he benefited so much from the coach change uh, from Favre, who didn't rate him very highly um, at all, uh, to Terzic. I'm hoping for Dahoud's sake that even when Terzic moves back into the you know, the second second row of the fashion show, so to speak. You'll still benefit from from that love. And because it's really been great seeing Dahoud be the player that we saw at Gladbach must be four or five years ago now. So he's among my top three. I also included Leon Bailey here because in some ways he's been a comeback kid this season. I think he stagnated a few years you know, there was that breakout season where everyone was just like, oh my God, is he going to cost 60 or 80 million? Is he going to go to Manchester United or Chelsea? And he was like the next big thing. He was going to be this Jamaican poster boy. Uh, you know, he was friends with Usain Bolt and Bolt wore like a Leon Bailey Leverkusen jersey and it got like kind of out of hand. And then, you know, nothing ever came of it. And Bailey, I think in some ways, He's been one of their top, you know, 13, 14 players. So he's he started a fair amount of games, but he's also come off the bench a lot. And I think that's been really good for him that Leverkusen's hopes are no longer pinned to him alone. They now have a lot of attacking talent. He's combining well with 17-year-old Florian Wirtz. So I really enjoyed watching him play. And then, yeah, I had Amin Younes, like you, um, because... Again, like a great transfer, but also a transfer where everyone was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we know about him. He's going to flop or whatever. But he, everyone thought of him as that like wonder kid from the Confed Cup. He, you know, and someone who was like living La Dolce Vita in the Italian league. And he's really clawed his way back and had a very good season, had some beautiful goals. So those are my three. Nice. Well, I think I think since we both shared Amin Yunus in our our top three, and this is another thing I like about the N- NBA awards that they announce uh, finalists before they announce who wins it because it mm-hmm. kind of creates a little extra interest. I think we got to give it to Amin Yunus. He is the the player among you know all those big names, which I think we put out there. That like I don't know for me anyway, who sort of brings the most amount of like sort of unexpected magic. I mean, yeah. I don't want to say, I mean, Leon Bailey and Christopher Nkunku, especially they have, they've got a lot in their locker, but I mean, <laughs> some of the things that he just tries some of the, like, you know, back heels and, you know, sort of telepathic one twos with, with some of the other, you know, Frankfurt frontline players. He's my favorite of those players uh, to watch whenever he gets game time. Totally. Yeah, he's a classic Straßenfußballer, you know, one of those kids who learned to play in a concrete cage somewhere in Germany and uh, still bringing those tricks that he, I'm sure he used when he was a skinny little seven-year-old against the 11-year-old boys and girls of the neighborhood. He's still trying that in the Bundesliga, which is getting more rare and rare. So 
really appreciative. And what what are such you know, it, if we were in a non coronavirus and non we live thousands of miles away world, if we were to actually give him this award. What 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 would the statue look like? <laughs> the twelfth man award. If it is a statue. Well, I don't. Yeah, know. Is, is it personalized for Amin Yunus, or is this a a permanent no, no, trophy no, no, no. that we're doing here? It's a permanent trophy. Okay. Well, I I hadn't considered that. I feel like it, maybe this is the inaugural award, so it can be uh, inspired by Amin Yunus. So I feel like it has to be sort of has to be sort of short and squat. It has to be like a mailbox or like a like a thumb. Mm. Because this is a guy who's I, I can't I, how how tall is he? I mean, he can't be more than about 170. Oh, he's 168 centimeters, which is five foot six. Wow. Um, wow <laughs> so okay. it's got to be, and he he's not. Let's just say he's not uh, he's not slight mm-hmm. of build either. He's not you know he's not going to win win the Ielton mm-hmm. uh, award because he's he's not you know portly, but he is solidly built. So I think the shape of this award needs to have, you know, uh, I have, I have an some idea. heft. Yeah. What do you got? A speedboat, a chunky speedboat that just like takes onto the oceans. It's modest, you know, it, it's not a yacht. It's not, it's not that steam ship either, but it's, uh, it's going to get some glances and it's going to have a trail of water following in its wake. I like it. I like it. The chunky speedboat. I'm feeling it. All right. You know, I want to go on to, I think the next award in our list should be the most improved player, which I got to say, you know, we were talking before we, before we started recording about some of the, our admiration for the uh, NBA awards. I feel like this is a, an award that should be given in every league everywhere. I mean, I feel like sometimes maybe leagues are a little bit concerned about the fact that it might cast players in a somewhat negative or backhanded compliment kind of light because the implication is you weren't that good before and now you are. But I don't think you have to read it that way because it's it's not just for players who, who previously sucked and now are good. It can also be for players who were good before and now are excellent. So with that preamble, uh, who, who do you have in your, your list of finalists? Yeah, so – from the top, I'm going to start with my number one pick, and that is Union Berlin's Marvin Friedrich, who at centre-back, in some ways, was like their secret captain. He really run a tight ship and scored some goals, some headers, has really grown in presence on the pitch and grown out of being that young, um, you know, little rookie talent, naive player, you know, whatever, baby face to, to being a real Bundesliga player. And in some ways I thought it down as maybe, maybe that surprise guy who might get a shot in the national team, just especially because I think in defense, Germany is, is at its weakest and that hasn't happened yet, but, um, you know, maybe in the future it will. And besides him at most improved, I also have, uh, Christian Günther from Freiburg, who did get that call up uh, to the Germany squad, and when you play well at Freiburg, Yogi tends to t- tends to watch. Yes, Yogi's close. He's always watching through the leaves in the Schwarzwald. Yeah, in the Black Horse. Yeah. So Günther, I mean, not much to say. You know, he's always been a good player, but he's just had that little extra shine. Uh, you know, it's like new polish on the car uh, this this year. And then lastly, uh, most improved is another defender, and that's Riedle Baku, who has had such a standout year that I think many would count him as a potential rookie of the year. But he's actually been in the Bundesliga for a while longer. He was at Mainz, and he just had a breakout season, and I've really enjoyed watching him play. He's fast. He makes good decisions in the final third. In some ways, although he's, he plays on, um, you know, sometimes on the other wing, in some ways, he reminds me of Rafael Guerrero at Dortmund. Um, I think they have similar playing style. Doesn't shy away from a 1v1. And yeah, so he's my third guy at most improved. Nice. I'm not going to I'm not gonna go on too long because I actually share one of yours, Ooh. Reed Labaku. And for that reason, I think he's going to win the award from us. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, he's a player who I, 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 I saw the potential in. And when he sort of uh, came into the, the Mites side, I remember quite famously, he was, you know, 
basically pulled off of the uh, the youth team bus on the way to a, a, another game because Mainz suddenly had an injury crisis and they were like, "Who we got? Who we got? Get the youth team coach on the on the horn. <laughs> tell him to, to to come to the first team game." And you know he ended up playing well. But was something of an uneven performer at Mainz. I mean, he, you know, was in and out of the side. He had, you know, maybe an injury or two that kept him from sort of getting a good run. He was a player who, you know, a lot of us felt like we weren't really sure what his ceiling was. And for him to go into a club like Wolfsburg, which is a pretty big step up in terms of, of you know, the kinds of quality that you're going to have, you know, both Svensson's magic aside, we'll be talking about him later probably. Mm-hmm. I think he's been shockingly good. I think he's been one of their most dangerous players, uh, especially as the season wore on. Runners up, I guess, for my view, I had another Wolfsburg player in here, Maxi Arnold, who I feel like, you know, kind of reminded us what a player he could be. Um, he, he's another player who sort of had a, a pretty strong start to his Bundesliga career and then fell off a little bit. And then finally, Andre Silva. Um, I think that this is a guy who, you know, just arrived at the tail end of last season to sort of didn't show his full potential. Let's just say he had a few important goals in the sort of post uh, lockdown period, but didn't look like necessarily the unstoppable force that he turned into this season. This is definitely a player who went in that category of from from good to spectacular. Uh, over the course of this season. I think that, you know, Oliver Glasner is hopefully on the phone with him uh, as as early as possible to try and get him to stick around for another season, even though they're not in the Champions League. Let's talk about rookie of the year, which, of course, you know, the whole concept of rookies in, you know, U.S. sports is a little bit contentious for the way things shake out in Europe where you don't have, you know, college players, you know, being drafted and having sometimes players, it takes them the course of a season or, you know, a couple of seasons to get blooded in. Basically, the way I uh, interpreted it is either it can just be newcomers to the league, which, you know, some of these players, they've, they've, you know, been around for a while. I tried to pick younger players because it's more in keeping with rookies. Bonus in particular to players in their first full pro season, you know, guys who maybe had a cup of coffee uh, last season but didn't really mm. play. So here are mine. I, I had Silas Wamagatuka, who is just a delight to watch. He, you know, unfortunately missed the last sort of run in for Stuttgart. I think that might have a little bit to do with the fact that they got pipped to the uh, UEFA Europa Conference League spot at the end. Um, Maxence Lacroix, hard to overlook him uh, in that he was at the center alongside John Brooks at of that you know very 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 good uh, Wolfsburg uh, defense first year with the club came out of nowhere awesome and uh, Jamal Musiala is my is my third. I feel like he, I think he had one appearance for Bayern last season. Um, he. Wasn't exactly uh, uh, out and out regular for them this season, but he came became more and more important as the season wore on. And I think we all know what a bright future he has. Awesome. Well, I have one of your three, so I'll leave that to last to keep the suspense up mm. for the listeners. But I have on here Jude Bellingham with Dortmund, who plays like a experienced Champions League uh, winning 32-year-old in midfield um, and has performed highly across competitions and really forced his way into the lineup in his first season um, while still being a teenager and, of course, an Englishman in Germany playing abroad. So he's really impressed me. And then my second player is, drumroll please, <laughs> Matthew Hoppy, America who, you know, really earned his U.S. national men's team call-up. And, I mean, it's very hard, especially as an attacking player, to stick out when your team is so poor and there's so little creativity, and he's done that. Like, as a number nine who relies so much on delivery from the other, you know, nine or ten players um, on the field... He's, he's really worked for it and uh, made the most of very little resources at his disposal as far as his team is concerned. And 
he he has some really good qualities you know he he can strike with both feet he is one of those players that always seeks the di- most direct route to goal and his goals have really shown that he's had a very a great variety of of goals and you know dribbling around the goalkeeper shooting from close up tap ins shooting from further away shooting with his left foot shooting with his right foot so he's in there for me and then of course the third player is Silas Bamangituga. So I agree with you there. I was actually very sad when he was injured and uh, I really felt his absence. And he's been so important for Stuttgart. And I think his stats for a 21-year-old, like the assists and goals that he's collected are incredible, especially for, you know, that type of team. So yeah, he's, he's my guy for this award. I like it. I like it. I think, I think, you know, when you mentioned Jude Bellingham, I, I thought to myself, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was his first year, wasn't it? I, sometimes I can't even believe it myself because right. he uh, he's he's just too good. But why don't why don't we give it to Silas Wamangatuka? Because I want some way of, of rewarding him and keeping him around in the Bundesliga as long as possible. I, yes. I look at him sometimes, look at his, his skill on the ball, look at his speed, look at his size. Mm-hmm. He's a big dude. And look at, you know, the smart decisions that he makes as well. I mean, his, his linking, link up play with, with, you know, the rest of his Stuttgart team is very good. I look at him and I think he's, he's not going to be around long. <laughs> no. And I think for, for this award, rookie of the year, I'm picturing a silver pacifier for a baby with a little soccer ball, nice. you know, coming out as like a, a little soccer ball, one of those classic ones. I like um, it. I like it. That that's that's the award for me. Let's turn <laughs> things around and look at defensive player of the year. This is, you know, this is a category I think is is definitely sorely missing from most of the individual award shows and lists in the game of football. Um, you know, you look at the list of Ballon d'Or winners or, you know, player of the year uh, winners in, in, in most countries. Uh, one thing you'll notice is defenders do not win those awards very often at all. It is extremely anomalous for defenders to win. And, you know, I would say also in truth for for goalkeepers for uh holding midfielders basically anybody whose job it is more you know broadly speaking uh to keep goals out rather than to put them in you don't necessarily win the awards but i think this award is is made for them so i interpreted it pretty broadly defenders goalkeepers and holding midfielders and this is this is what i got Maxence Lacroix again. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard. To, he he was just so damn good uh, for a team that is very very good at defending. I, I couldn't look past him. Uh, Stefan Ortega, mm-hmm. Bielefeld's goalkeeper, who I think they should probably write a big check to because <laughs> the fact that they're sticking around in the Bundesliga for another season means that they aren't losing a bunch of money and. I think that he was probably worth at least, you know, five points, let's just say, which is very much the margin of what kept them in the league. And then this one's a little bit more debatable because I think he does a lot of good work going forward. But I I did want to put him on some short list, and that's uh, Joshua Kimmich because he is just a badass. And he does a lot of sort of – not only does he do a lot of good skill work, um, going forward and he does, you know, make assists. He does, you know, make runs into the box. He just does so much good organization work for, for Bayern that I feel like, ah, maybe it's a bad fit. Maybe this is the only place I could figure out to put him. Yes. Yes. Well, um, I'm sure it's going to bring you and any big city club fans a lot of joy, but I actually have Dedrick Boyata here. I think he had a stellar season and on a very average team and he's improved a lot so he's one of my guys in defense then i have uh dayo upamecano who in a very strong defensive unit managed to stick out and another one of those players where it's unbelievable how young he is because he just seems you know like like a real ferdinand or a vidage like someone who just makes the right decisions and is just like a rock in defense 
And then lastly, I have one of my favorites uh, in the Bundesliga, which is controversial because he plays for that team that looks like bumblebees. And that is Rafael Guerrero. Again, a bit, a little bit of a cheat because like you of Kimmich, because we don't really think of him as a defensive player, but he is, you know, he's a wing back and he's combined so well with Jaden Sancho. I think Jaden Sancho moved to Guerrero's side just to be able to play with Guerrero instead of whoever, you know, Meunier and, you know, we don't want to name any other names, but whoever plays on that other side, um, Guerrero, like I haven't seen Sancho play as well as those days when he played with Hakimi. And uh, Guerrero has a lot to do with that. And I look forward to seeing Guerrero combine um, with Andre Silva and Cristiano Ronaldo and um, Bernardo Silva and all those wonderful Portugal players this summer uh, when they battle Germany <laughs> in the group stages. So, yeah, he's my third guy. Dig it. Dig it. I, you know, if I had to revise things now that we're, you know, we're, we're shoehorning people in, I would probably put Angelino in the list as well, even though, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's face it, his added value is, is, is going forward. I mean, he's, he's a fine, he's a fine defender, but his, his goal scoring and his sort of danger going forward is, is where I think he's, his head is at, let's just say. So who gets it? Who gets it then? Uh, who gets the, the trophy? How are we going to fight this out? We had, we had no, we, nobody, no overlap yeah. in these names. Hmm. If I had to pick one of my three that I would give it to, I would actually go with uh, Stefan Ortega. Mm. I think that, um, I don't know if you're, this fits your, your definition of the category, but it fits mine. And I think he basically was the most important player on a team that needed somebody to do important things yeah. because they, they were short on standouts. Agreed. And this trophy should just be a goal shaped to scale brick wall yeah yeah with you know there might be a net behind the wall yeah, and all that i, I can i can do with that you, you, you wouldn't know you wouldn't know <laughs> <laughs> all right coach of the year we've got coach of the year i'll let you go first on that it's pretty straightforward so i think these yeah. last ones are you know require no explanation yeah okay my coaches of the year are an american who uh, materazzo with with stuttgart is it materazzo or materazzi uh, materazzo Materazzo. Okay, I got it. But now I feel bad for asking. But yeah, him. And in, considering he's from New Jersey, it's probably Matarazzo. <laughs> right, right. He but, actually went know, to Columbia. Who's counting? He went, a fun <laughs> That's fact. right. He went to Columbia. That's right. You so, guys are... Yeah, he, he lived in a slightly worse neighborhood than me. He talked in an interview with El Freund about the shots he could hear from his neighborhood uh, apartment in, I think it was like the late 90s when he lived in West Harlem. It was the 90s, man. Yeah, we're very similar yeah. age. So I... I remember, I remember '90s in American cities. It was a very different before place. gentrification hit Harlem. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's one of my three. Then, of course, uh, Bo Svensson at Mainz, and uh, lastly, Urs Fischer. Those are my three. Nice, nice. Well, I had Urs Fischer as well. I didn't have Pellegrino. I, I guess maybe, maybe, uh, maybe I should have. I had Oliver Glasner. Uh, in in my list, mm-hmm. and above all, I did have Bo Svensson. I think Bo Svensson for me, it's impossible to look past him. I feel like yeah, the the depths of you know desperation that Mites were in. They were literally as bad as Schalke in the first half of the season. They were <laughs> hopeless, and by the end of the season, they were you know giving the best teams in the league all that they could handle or more than they could handle in some games. Mm-hmm. And with obviously there were there were some there were some moves that that they made in the transfer market that, that maybe play a role in that. But I have to say that that is the most impactful coaching change probably in Bundesliga history by the points and certainly since the time I've been watching the Bundesliga probably the biggest one since Julian Nagelsmann took over at Hoffenheim where they were not quite as bad and they ended up you know, in a somewhat similar place, but like this, this dude is the truth as far as I can tell. And I'm really excited to see where he's going to go. Hell yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I think he's a very deserving winner. I agree with you there. You said it all. All right. And now probably the, the, the least suspenseful (laughs) category of all, uh, the MVP, (laughs) this one, 
you know, is a, is a, even even in the NBA or, or even the NFL or whatever league, there's different interpretations of this about whether it's the best player or it's the player who has the biggest impact on his team. Those debates by the by. Mm-hmm. I think whichever way you want to slice it, <laughs> there's probably one person who has the inside track on this one. I'm just going to put that out there. My finalists were Erling Holland who I thought rather bizarrely won this award player of the year uh, from the Bundesliga. Maybe they allowed fans to vote for that or some nonsense. Thomas Müller, who, let's face it, kind of came back to not just his best, but even better than what had been his best, I think. And Robert Lewandowski, people. Robert goddamn (laughs) Lewandowski. Um, (laughs) Do you want to make a case for anybody else? Yeah, I actually so the two obvious ones I have I have with you I'm I'm with you Haaland and Lewandowski. I like it. But as my third guy instead of Müller I have Josua Kimmich. Nice, nice. Uh just cuz for me already he's kind of the guy at Bayern and he's going to be that for a, a few years to come and with the German national team as well. And although you you set me up in a way by saying it's so so obvious, I'm going to have to be contrarian and actually I will interpret this award as most valuable to his team. And therefore, in my opinion, this should go to Haaland. So we might have to, you know, pick matches or something from a box to to decide who gets this award, if it's Lewandowski or Haaland. Well, I'm going to be holding the matches and I'm going to put them in there in such a way so that you're definitely going to pull the short straw <laughs> and you're going to lose. <laughs> All right. I, I, can, I can live with Lewandowski. I think, um, you know, there are, Few players have as good an argument to win this award as breaking a yeah, yeah. And I, I, To tell the truth, I do agree that if we judge this simply by the, the, you know, what some people insist is the textbook definition of this most valuable player to his team. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if Holland had not been on Dortmund or if he had not sort of rediscovered his dominant form at the juncture of the season that he did, Dortmund would not be playing in the Champions League next season, that's for sure. Totally. Okay, that is a wrap on this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced with care, as always, by our main man, Aiden Rantoul. Marie, really, really lovely to have you back on the show. Thanks, Matt. And I wanted to just apologize for any of the young rookies I did not name. This was a good season for young guys uh, making their mark for the first time in the Bundesliga. and. We appreciate all of you. We hope you stay and don't go to the Premier League this summer. Maybe give it some time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's been a ride and um, I'm definitely going to miss this season. And I'm glad that as a consolation prize, at least we have the Euros coming up. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. A summer, a summer with uh, a major tournament is always uh, a nice little bonus to go along with the NBA playoffs. Anyway, uh, you'll find Marie uh, on Twitter at Marie Shubo. I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Do subscribe to us, rate us, review us positively, please. And uh, most importantly, tell your friends about the podcast. Do it. Until next time, y'all.